With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Husker CuzCast Sports Show. Now, here's Justin Fielder, Derek Stafford, and Tyler Schaefer. Hello, and welcome to the Husker CuzCast Sports Show. Justin here, along with the cousins Derek and Tyler. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Husker CuzCast for all podcast updates and more. We got a great show planned tonight. We're going to be talking to Chappie. We're going to be talking about the Northwestern preview. And then we're also going to be talking about a way too early preview on the Nebraska Northwestern game in Dublin. So let's get right into it. We now welcome in Chappie, the college football guy, host of the CFP podcast and owner of CFPCollegeFootball.com. Welcome, Chappie. I'm glad to be back, gentlemen. It's been too long since I've talked with, uh, with you three wonderful scholarly gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, so I've been watching your walking off with Chappie, your little segment. So those are pretty fun. And it looks like you have a good read on a lot of teams, including Nebraska. The uh, Your little uh, uh, pod, I guess, with uh, Nebraska, you got a good beat on this. So what we don't have a good beat on is Northwestern. So we want to talk to you about uh, Northwestern. We want to preview them, and then we're going to get into the Northwestern Nebraska game in Dublin. So uh, this is going to be fun. So I want to start it off with uh, Northwestern, 3-9 and nine last year. Not a great year. I mean, even Scott Frost beat Northwestern last year, and he didn't beat a lot of teams. So uh, there is a lot of issues with Northwestern. Uh, as you head into this season – what are the where, what are the areas where Northwestern will be most improved? Well, I think, believe it or not, linebacker um, is one area to start with. And I say this because they've got guys who are now another year experienced, not only experienced, but in the strength program as well. They were very young, very green last year. I mean, they had Chris Bergen, who seems like he had been in Evanston for a long, long time. And believe it or not, there's... Um, there's more Bergens to come, but, um, you know, Bryce Gallagher leads the way. He's somebody who, I mean, um, his brother Blake before him kind of paved his way, but I see Bryce Gallagher as somebody who could finish up looking more like a complete linebacker than, than Blake did. Uh, they, you know, they had some pretty good recruiting Halls the last couple of years at that position. Mac Uline was, I believe, Illinois Player of the Year, or, or uh, certainly in the running for that. Uh, he's quick and athletic, even though he's undersized. I mean, that's that's kind of how it goes at Northwestern. You've got undersized linebackers who are athletic and aggressive and not afraid of contact. Uh, Xander Mueller, Grayson Metz, or a couple other guys, and then they did bring in Wendell Davis from Pitt. And it's not just a, a bonus bringing in a guy like Wendell Davis. If he can stay healthy, he's had some injury problems, but he played under Randy Bates, who was the uh, linebackers coach at Northwestern coach with Fitzgerald for quite some time. So there's got to be some familiarity there. And, and, and that had to, that connection had to come into play. Uh, and then 
a guy to look out for is Kenny Soares, who was recruited late, but he's somebody that, I mean, Pat Fitzgerald doesn't really like talking about his freshman after signing day, but Soares was a name that, uh, pun intended, soared in, in the spring and in workouts and whatnot. And so um, I would say that that's an area where they're probably most improved. And, and I say that with a little bit of a grain of salt because, I mean, you could look at Northwestern's roster last year and their statistical output and say, well, they should improve in every area. But I think that's one that heading into 2022, that's where I feel the most confident going from 2021 to to where we're at now and where we can be in the fall. Linebackers, an area that I'm not as concerned about as maybe others would be. Awesome. Tyler. So just kind of pivoting over to overall strengths of Northwestern. You know, when we think of Northwestern, you know, over the last few years, it's been defense. Uh, obviously lost a legendary defensive coordinator. A lot of people are skeptical uh, about what's going to come next. So just looking at this team, where are the strengths at on the overall roster? Well, I think it starts with offensive line. And a big reason for that is Pete Skaronsky. He's, I think, ranked the number one returning offensive tackle by pro football focus coming back this year. You know, he's projected to be a first round pick, just very technically sound. Uh, but then you go beyond that. I mean, they have th- four starters coming back on that O-line. Uh, Ethan Viterker at one of the tackles. Charlie Schmidt moves from guard to center, which I think is a is going to be a beneficial move, not only for him, but for that whole uh, unit. And then Josh Preeb is kind of the guy who gets forgotten about a little bit by others because he was in the same class as Skaronsky. But those two were really considered, you know, 1A and 1B uh, in terms of offensive line recruits that year. And and they're very deep at that offensive line position as well. Uh, there was a starter, Zach Franks, who was hurt, was supposed to be the starting tackle last year, got hurt in fall camp. So, you know, not only do they experience coming back, but they've got that practice experience. Um, they're they're a, a veteran group overall, even if they haven't gotten the game snaps. So that's an area of strength. I think also in the secondary, that's an area that um, Big Ten teams – and Big Ten people will look on paper and probably overlook, but they were 69th in pass defense efficiency a year ago, which I know doesn't sound great, but when you look at how many problems they had on that entire defense for their pass game when they were um, losing in a lot of those games, that that's kind of considerable. I mean, they returned three out of their four players in the secondary, the loss of Brandon Joseph Hurts, but, um, you know, Cam Mitchell and A.J. Hampton are two very underrated corners Coco Azuma is just a, a heck of an athlete. He's a hitter at safety, but he's also a very cerebral guy. So, um, you know, when we start to break down, you know, the the Nebraska-Northwestern game in Dublin, that's an area that I'm really interested to look at is the uh, presumably potent Nebraska passing game going against a, a veteran secondary and a secondary that, um, again, it's another position that they've pride themselves in recruiting well and strongest over the last couple of years. So this is really the year where we should, um, from a Northwestern standpoint, see some of that talent emerge um, in 2022. Well, so now we got to go to the flip side. What do you see as the biggest weaknesses? Well, it's it starts with quarterback. I mean, anytime Northwestern has been a player, they've had solid quarterback play. And, and a lot of people want to make, um, you know, notes about the odd even years with Northwestern. So 2018, they had Clayton Thorson. He's a program legend. Um, He knew how to run that offense and he was essentially the offensive coordinator on the field. And I know that that's somewhat cliche, but it was true. Uh, 2019, they didn't get that. I mean, they, they tried their hand at three different quarterbacks. 
Uh, a lot of people thought Hunter Johnson was going to come over from Clemson and and just light the world on fire. That didn't happen. Then they get Peyton Ramsey in 2020. Again, a guy who was just doesn't make mistakes. He he runs the offense the way it's supposed to be run. Last year, again, three or four quarterbacks just couldn't get it done. So as we transition into this year, I actually think that it's not going to be Ryan Holinsky. My money is going to go with Brendan Sullivan, a redshirt freshman who should eventually take hold of that quarterback spot. And and he's really impressed in uh, spring camp. And it's it's said that he and Holinsky are really neck and neck. But uh, a lot of my sources are saying Sullivan is the guy that should be the one who ultimately comes out of that room. He might even get the majority of the snaps against Nebraska in that August 27th game. So um, it looks like a, a weakness right now, and it's always going to be a weakness. I mean, if you don't have good quarterback play, even with a good offensive line, and even if your defense gets better, if you don't have it started uh, under center, then I mean, your whole team is a weakness. So I'm going to throw that out there, and I'm hoping that that weakness becomes a, a, a surprise area of strength as the season goes on as a Northwestern guy. So that's so, kind so of just interesting. Quick you hear a lot of Nebraska fans say, you know, like uh, Ryan Holinsky doesn't scare them. So they should yeah. be afraid of uh, Brendan Sullivan a little bit, maybe. I'm not saying that they should be afraid of him necessarily, but I, I think that that's a, a name that you're going to see. And um, I would be really surprised if there is only one quarterback in that Nebraska game. Now, if it's somebody, whether it's Sullivan or whether it's Holinsky, who just takes hold and they they kind of punch Nebraska in the mouth and it's because of their quarterback play, that would be great. But I think that, you know, we've seen it in the past with uh, Fitzgerald, who was never never really seemed to want to be a two quarterback guy. But he wants to, especially early on before um, the rest of that Big Ten season comes out to play, he wants to see which guy is going to. Um, direct this offense. So no, he's not someone to be afraid of, but someone to kind of keep an eye out for because um, he's, he's athletic, he's mobile. He's put on 30 pounds since he's arrived on campus. And even though he's a redshirt freshman, um, he enrolled early, I believe. So he's essentially had three springs to work with and will be coming up on his second fall to work with. And again, it sounds like he's getting equal reps with the number ones, which is only going to grow his confidence. So if they can get a, a deep threat to emerge from that receiver group, which Fitzgerald actually likes this year, I think the running back room is solid. They've got a good offensive uh, line that like we just talked about. So there's a the potential to, to worry about a guy like Brennan Sullivan. But again, as long as he stays within himself, stays within the offense and allows his offensive coordinator, Mike Bajakin, to kind of push the buttons um, and put him in positions to be successful and not in positions to where, you know, he's got to Hail Mary his way to to success. All right. Tyler, did you have a follow-up question? or No, Justice stole it. Okay. okay. <laughs> Sorry, that was like breaking news to me. I mean, it's like, wow. Jumped all and, over and, that and that's why you got to go to Chappie. I mean, you guys did the right thing. So. <laughs> all right, Chappie. Uh, so you've mentioned you've already mentioned quite a few players here, but uh, I know you mentioned a couple of linebackers. You talked about some offensive line, quarterbacks. Uh, who are some other players to really watch out for that could really break out this season for Northwestern? At the wide receiver position, Bryce Kurtz is somebody who Northwestern fans have been waiting for. He's he's kind of been nagged with injury a little bit. Uh, he was actually a uh, a teammate at one point of Hunter Johnson uh, in Indiana, I think Brownsburg, Indiana, and um, he's he's a great route run, route runner and he's a guy who looks fast, but he plays even faster. And so uh, even as a as a true freshman. 
as a redshirt freshman. He's had um, experienced and veteran defensive backs say, um, this guy's scary. I mean, even, like I said, his first fall camp as a Wildcat. And that's where um, there were a lot of people in Northwestern circles who were kind of expecting him to play early on as a receiver. But injuries and other factors led to him kind of being um, kept on the sideline not because of lack of productivity, not because of uh, lack of potential, but I think just you don't want to put a kid, especially a kid who um, is is injured a little bit. You don't want to put him into a situation, especially in 2021, where you know they're a three and nine football team. You're better off just cutting your losses and, and giving him a fresh start. So he's somebody to look out for. Um, he's a slot type receiver, and then beyond Evan Hull, who I think is is still the most underrated running back, maybe the most underrated offensive player in the Big Ten, just when you look at what he can do, what his numbers suggest. I mean, um, he had several games over 100 yards rushing last year. And again, that's on an offense that really had no passing game to complement him. But they get Cam Porter back this year. He was their leading rusher on the 2020 uh, West Division title team that went to the Big Ten championship against Ohio State. Uh, he was out with injury in the fall last year. Then they return um, – Andrew Clare, who was a, a transfer from Bowling Green last year, averaged over five yards a carry. Uh, and then Anthony Tyus, who he's already being dubbed the A-train. I saw that, you know, he he took some NIL uh, earnings and got a nice car and he's got the A-train license plate. So I think anytime somebody gives you that nickname and then you uh, continue with that and you're dubbing yourself with that, that's, that's some big shoes that you've got to walk in. And, and I think that he can do a pretty good job. So this is going to be a – a pretty heavy running back room for the Wildcats. And that really will be a big factor into how successful they can be this year. If they can get two, even three of those guys to run well behind that uh, staunch offensive line, I think that that could really factor into whether Northwestern is a bowl team or even a team that contends for the Big, we Big Ten West going into the early parts of November or whether they're just an afterthought and it's like, okay, well, let's look ahead to next season. All right. Well, that kind of leads me to my next question. I, I do have to say this before I move on. Evan Hull's definitely on my radar. Like that kid, he—I—I I, I agree with you. I think he's very underrated. I think he's a damn good running back behind a good offensive line. I think he could do a lot of damage for to a lot of teams. Right. Uh, I, that kid worries me. I've—I've I've watched him play a few times, and it's like, God dang, he's shifty, he's quick, he's—but he's—but he's got some power to him too. So. But but you say yeah. underrated because it's the Big Ten in running back. Like to get I, ranked in the Big Ten in running back, I mean. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, there's two or three All-American type guys every year in this conference. So, right. Yeah, that's fair. And the fact that, you know, I mean, Northwestern is not necessarily known for churning out NFL caliber or all Big Ten type running backs. I mean, it happens every now and then. But, you know, people are automatically going to look to an Iowa or a Minnesota where they have that reputation. So even if uh, Hull was the second leading rusher in the Big Ten last year, I still think he would kind of get overlooked for all-conference accolades just because of the fact that he's got that Northwestern on his chest. And, you know, I think that he and, and those other guys in that room are, are taking it as a chip on their shoulder and a point of personal pride to kind of reemerge Northwestern as a school that does produce uh, players in the backfield. All right. Uh, okay, so I, I'm sure you've read enough national hype here and seen how nobody's respecting Northwestern whatsoever, which surprises me because – you mentioned it earlier. It's it's every other year. Northwestern surprises teams every even year. They play way better than everybody expects them to. And then it, 
So, so what kind of season can we expect out of Northwestern? Because I'm expecting better than what the national media is. I am too, and and I hope it doesn't come off as being a homer. I actually see them as a seven and five team going four and five in the Big Ten, finishing fourth in the West. And it's, you know, I don't buy into the 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 even year odd year. And I think that anytime that gets mentioned, I mean, there's a collective eye roll from Northwestern people, especially someone like Pat Fitzgerald. But what I look at is. Fitz's record against his conference opponents, especially the opposing head coaches, but more so, I mean, um, this is year 17 for Pat Fitzgerald and only once in 17 years has he had back-to-back losing seasons. And in five separate occasions when they have had a losing mark, I think he's had six total losing records in his 17 years, but in five of those six times, the following year after a losing season, they have won nine or more games. So it's not like they're, okay, well, we went three and nine, and then the next year we went six and six. So we didn't have a losing season, yay for us. But, it, I mean, it's it's really completely turning the tide. And that's what makes me, I mean, even if I, if I didn't have ties to um, – you know, the Northwestern Wildcats, I would look at this just as an analytical person and say, there's something here. I mean, that's a huge asterisk to say, to say that not only are you not a, uh, a habitual back-to-back losing season type coach, but you're taking a team that um, really doesn't even come close to making a bowl. And then the next season, because of your culture, because of your off-season preparation, you're now um, a contender, a serious contender in a very competitive division, you know? All right, Chappie, you mentioned something about NIL there. So how is Northwestern faring in NIL in this uh, new age of college football? I'll be honest. I I don't know a whole lot about that, and I think it's because Northwestern being a private school, that's not something that they really like to divulge. I mean, um, anything dealing with money, it's hard to get a lot of information about that. I know that from what I've pieced together, um, Pat Fitzgerald is somebody who has always been a – you can't stop a moving train. So you can either hop aboard and and try and get comfortable until it gets to a stop where you need to make, um, or you're just going to get flattened. And so I, I think that it's something that there um, there there's certainly more um, obstacles at a place like Northwestern uh, compared to other places in the Big Ten, whether it's public or private universities. Um, and the same thing goes with recruiting. So I think that you can tie NIL deals uh in the same vein as some of the the struggles with recruiting for northwestern but um you know i i haven't heard many complaints that um you know people are leaving northwestern or their program because of the fact that nil just is non-existent so i mean to be completely honest here gentlemen um i haven't heard a whole lot about um nil information with regards to the northwestern program um but again fitz is an innovator he's a he's a guy that uh by nature just knows how to adapt and um you know a thing that northwestern has always had is pitching the the future and it being a 40-year decision not a four-year decision and i think that uh fitz is masterful enough to where he can roll that into nil as well um and and can still make things happen um with the things that he's allowed to do but also um to pitch it not as i mean uh you look at northwestern's not unique to this but there's probably a, a handful of schools within the big 10 conference that are maybe in the same boat that like yeah you're not going to be able to make the NIL deals that you're going to get in Columbus or in uh, East Lansing or, um, you know, Happy Valley or any place like that. But um, here's what you can get. And here's um, maybe some viable options that are closely tied into NIL. All right. So speaking of people that have left, uh, Hunter Johnson, quarterback, goes back to Clemson. 
Why exactly did he go back to Clemson? I'm not sure. My assumption, um, and this is just a um, well thought out speculation on my part, but I, I, I think that he's somebody I know that he went into uh, or I, th- I think he's going into the the education field or or management. Um, one of those two. I, I can't remember which it is, but um, I think he wants to be around Dabo Swinney's culture. I think he wants to be a, a coach. Um, he's he's a very cerebral guy. Somebody that uh, you know was described as being a film rat and somebody who's just always wanting to to sharpen his game. So my assumption is that he went there because he wants to learn from Dabo Swinney. He wants to be a part of that winning culture and then transcend into a grad assistant of some sort. And um, you know maybe five ten years from now you're hearing Hunter Johnson being an offensive coordinator for um, a nearby school and and he can say that he had the the groundwork laid not only from a, uh, a reputable coach like Fitzgerald at Northwestern, but then Dabo Swinney and, and the slew of, um, you know, impressive coaches that they've got there in Death Valley. Okay, good. Uh, guys, any other questions before we move on to the Nebraska-Northwestern game? All right. So I'm excited for this game here. Uh, it's in Dublin. Chappie, are you going to the game? I'm not. And I, I kind of went back and forth with that. Uh, it, it would be a great experience. Um, and, uh, you know, number one, it was going to be a, a hard ticket to get. Uh, you know, there's a lot of factors that kind of left me out of that. But I'll be honest, guys, I, I much rather I, I would love to watch any football game um, in the comforts outside of a stadium. And um, I don't know if that makes me sound like an old man, but uh, I mean, it just there's not as much appeal to going to a game other than, you know, just the the tangible nostalgia and and that great feeling that you get from being in a stadium in that surroundings. But again, being a college football guy, if I go to a game that limits me to really just that game and maybe a couple others later. Um, and you know, it, it's on my bucket list to go to Ireland, but uh, I mean, it's, it's played in a non-traditional football venue. If, if Northwestern and Nebraska were playing um, in maybe a more well-known um, college football type venue, that would have more of an appeal to me. But to be honest, like I, I, I'm looking forward to watching that game in the comfort of my own home and maybe enjoying as the Irish do with a, a beverage or two, um, you know, from, from the comfort of my own place. Yeah. So do you like the fact that this game is actually being played in Dublin instead of uh, at home Northwestern? I don't. Um, but I mean, the, the, the plus side is um, I think that there's going to be more of an even draw between Northwestern purple and Nebraska red in Dublin than there would be in Evanston. I mean, uh, Nebraska, we all know, travels well and it's always been joked about that. You know, when Nebraska comes to Evanston, people will snapshot and say, you know, hey, look at the Nebraska home crowd because uh, it seems to outnumber uh, the Northwestern fans. And it's always been that way. And it's it's not to to knock, uh, you know, Northwestern fans or the Northwestern football program. But, um, you know, I just I'm I'm a purist and I'm a, a traditionalist. I always prefer to see college football games played, number one, on campus. You know, so if this game was to go to any like pro venue, like if it was to go to Soldier Field, I wouldn't be in favor of that. I would want to see it either in Ryan Field or uh, at Lincoln Memorial Stadium. So do you think any team, Nebraska or Northwestern, has an advantage uh, or will benefit uh, from this game here? I I think Northwestern actually benefits more than Nebraska does. Um, you know, there's going aside from the fact that uh, there's the, the uh, strong Irish 
heritage that's, you know, kind of strong in, in the parts of Illinois, Chicago, the Midwest. Um, like I said, I just don't see as many Nebraska fans traveling all the way to Dublin as as much as Northwestern fans would. Um, and that's that's not to say that Nebraska fans are not as excited. I mean, they may outnumber and they probably will outnumber the Northwestern fans that are there. But um, it seems to me that I've heard more Northwestern people treating this almost like it's a bowl game, whereas Nebraska fans, it, it's cool, it's unique, it's gimmicky. Um, but, you know, they they want to be there in Lincoln. They want to be in, in Big Ten venues. And I don't blame them. I mean, I'm, I'm in that same vein. So, um, yeah, I, I think if I have to uh, flip the coin one way or the other, I would give Northwestern the slight edge playing in Dublin as opposed to playing um, at home in their opener and certainly as opposed to playing in Lincoln. Well, Nebraska hasn't played in a bowl game in five years. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, okay, uh, Tyler. So I know we're still a few weeks away. I think we're about just about a month right now. Yep. So um, if finish this thought, if Nebraska wins this game, it'll be because of what? Offensive firepower and weapons will be too much. And if they get out early on Northwestern, Northwestern, the longer they stay in this game, as it's been really in the last decade under Pat Fitzgerald, if you let them hang around, you're digging your own grave. So with Mark Whipple and with Casey Thompson, who I really like, by the way, I, I think that this is a, a very good move for Casey Thompson to get out of Austin and to come to a place like Lincoln, where there's so much tradition and they do have uh, offensive firepower. And and I'm one of those people that I still have not given up on Scott Frost. I, I do believe that he is a good coach. I believe that he does have a good culture going there. But bringing in Mark Whipple is huge, not not as much as the offensive coordinator, but more so as a quarterback's coach. And I think that Scott Frost, from my understanding, did the right thing and stepped aside and said, you know what, I'm going to put my ego down. I'm going to do whatever it's going to take to get Nebraska football back to where it needs to be, or at least on its way back up. Because, I mean, it's clear that he bleeds Big Red, right? And and everybody wants to see him succeed. And again, even me, a Northwestern guy, I want to see him succeed at Nebraska. And it's hard for me to say that because I do consider Nebraska to be um, a rival of the Wildcats. But um, so, yeah, going back to your question, I think it's going to be the offensive firepower, um, you know, some of the help that they got in the portal. I really like Trey Palmer from LSU. I like what he can do in the open field. Uh, but then, I mean, the guys that they already have coming back, guys like Martin, and if Omar Manning can stay healthy and can stay inside his own head, um, you know, Oliver Martin's another guy that uh, that looks good. And then I uh, like Anthony Grant, the addition of him in the backfield. Ramir Johnson, uh, you know, had some good feet under him last year. Jekaz Yant is somebody who scares me. Uh, and then, you know, they do have a pretty good offensive line, even though they lost Norelli. Um, I mean, they, they were um, – experienced. And so if they can jump out early and sustain that lead and not, you know, get on cruise control, I think that's why Nebraska would win because Northwestern really can't overcome, as I see it right now, a, a two touchdown deficit or more. And, and that was evident last year in Lincoln. And, and I will add to that. I think that, you know, if Nebraska gets up early, even though Northwestern has a really good offensive line, I think you start seeing that pass rush get a little bit underneath Nebraska uh, we, we've talked about this a lot, bringing in Mathis from uh, TCU, Garrett Nelson. Um, I I, I want to see that because I know Northwestern is going to have one of the best pass protections we'll see all year. I, I want to see, I, not just selfishly, I just want to see how we match up if you have to throw the ball. 
because um, yeah. if, if you don't, then that really negates what I think the strength of this whole team is. So, right. um, yeah, that, I'm really interested to that test for the Huskers. All right, well, let's flip that coin over here and uh, let's tell Nebraska fans why they should be worried about Northwestern so much. Well, for Northwestern to win this game, they're going to have to, and this segues perfectly to what you were just talking about, um, they have to take away Garrett Nelson. I think he is a definite all-Big Ten outside linebacker. I would even contend that he could be uh, defensive player of the year in the conference. I mean, watching him work in the spring, I I can't remember the last time I was that impressed that quickly about a defensive player in the Big Ten. And they've had some good ones. I mean, obviously, yeah, Chase Young was good. But like um, even someone like George Karloftis at uh, Purdue, watching Garrett Nelson at the uh, at times last year, but certainly in the spring. And I know that, you know, you got to take spring with a grain of salt, but he just looks like a dude. And he looks like you could almost see on Nebraska coaches' faces like, okay, we got we to gotta take this guy off because not only is he making our offensive line look bad, but – um, you know, he's frustrating everybody on that offensive side. So for Northwestern to win, they're going to have to get that ground game going and really take the pass rush and uh, Nebraska's multiplicity with um, stunts and blitz schemes from Eric Chenander um, and force them to, um, you know, put eight, nine in the box to try and stop that run. Because as of right now, I don't see Northwestern being able to to beat Nebraska over the top. But if they can move the chains if they can stay on the field for long periods of time and and get that Nebraska defense winded and keep that Nebraska offense off the field and thinking a little bit more than what they need to. I think that's the recipe for for Northwestern. I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but if Northwestern wins, it's going to be because they have dominated the ground game and they've taken players like Garrett Nelson um, and Ochan Mathis and Ty Robinson out of the pass rush and, and forcing them to just be run stoppers. So with all that being said, how do you see this game actually playing out? Well, I, I just looked at the line, the recent line today, and I saw that Nebraska's favored by 12 and a half. And that number seems high for me. Now, last year aside, this has been a series, as I'm sure you guys are well aware, that has been very, very close. It's been one score games. I want to say like maybe seven out of the last 10 meetings that they've had. So I think that this is going to be a close game. And because it's the opener, I do see the offenses actually being a little bit ahead of the defenses here. So I see Nebraska by six. I see something like a 30 to 24 game. Um, And I I think that the Northwestern offense will actually look better than people are expecting them to. But I could see this coming down to Northwestern has one, maybe two tries at the end to score a tying touchdown and only need to kick the extra point. But, you know, maybe they cross the 50, maybe they get inside the 40, but a couple four and outs. And, you know, Nebraska hangs on that way and starts with a big sigh of relief, but a confident sigh of relief moving ahead. And I mean, anytime that you can start off one and zero in the conference, that's big. That's huge, whether it's week zero or whether it's week four. But I think that's going to be um, monumental for not only Scott Frost's confidence, but um, this entire team, you know, especially guys that they brought in through the portal. They're coming into a culture where it's like, OK, there's a lot of pins and needles here in Lincoln, and 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 maybe they can be those missing pieces that are going to take this uh, not only to a bowl team, but maybe to an eight, nine, even ten win team. But the big stepping stone has got to be uh, taking this first one in Dublin. Oh man, you're getting me hyped. I mean, you you have gotten me more <laughs> hype on Nebraska than Justin has. I do have a follow up question on Northwestern. How are yeah. their special teams? 
Special teams have always been solid, and that's because Pat Fitzgerald tries to take out any type of returns. I mean, you'll see a lot of fair catches. Uh, Northwestern has two new kickers this year. Um, so uh, they get a punter from UCLA, Luke Akers, who is the son of uh, NFL famed kicker David Akers. And then Jack Olson is a guy that transferred over from Michigan State last year. He's got a strong leg. I think he was you know, ranked a top 10 kicker in the Coles Kicking Academy that they run out in Wisconsin, I think. Uh, so he's got some pedigree. And Jeff Jenick is a veteran special teams coach. He's been around college football for a long time. I think this is his fourth year in Evanston. So they're going to be solid, but don't expect, I mean, you shouldn't be worried from what I can understand with any type of kick return or punt return game. Uh, Northwestern tries to play it safe. So their punter is going to hang it high in the air and force North Nebraska to fair catch. And, um, you know, Pat Fitzgerald always will take his chances with his defense over any special teams and probably over offense as well. So it's going to be a very boring special teams game. And if, if anybody from Northwestern is hearing, I'm going to echo that because seeing Trey Palmer at LSU, you don't want to give him a chance to return kicks or punts. Um, and, and I know Nebraska, you know, they had their issues with special teams last year, but hiring a new special teams coach, Coach Bush, I believe it is. Right. Um, and, and like I said, having those pieces, I, I like the, the, uh, bring-ins that they had at uh, kicker and punter. Um, those guys have some uh, some stats to their name. And like I said, Palmer's a, a danger in the return game. So I'm hoping uh, for Northwestern's sake that it's a boring special teams game because that's a, that's a victory for Northwestern, in my opinion. All right. Uh, so to move on here, we got a few minutes left here. There's been a lot of movement here in the college football world, especially with conference realignment. I just wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on UCLA and USC coming to the Big Ten and what the Big Ten is going to look like here? Well, for the Big Ten, it helps. I think that those brands and, and the tradition that they bring, it's it's interesting. As a college football purist and as a traditionalist, I don't. I think 14 teams is, is too big of a conference. Uh, I was okay with 12 teams, but beyond that, I think that gets to be too much. And, you know, selfishly, and I think I speak probably for a lot of Big Ten fans to uh, feel like you've got to watch a, a game on the West Coast that potentially could be really late. Um, that's not going to be as interesting. Uh, I, I, I wonder how it's going to work in with the travel arrangements going out West. And I know that, you know, only um, half the teams or, or, you know, half their games are going to be at home in Big Ten play. So you're looking at really only four, maybe five home games for USC and UCLA. Um, but, you know, I'm somebody who wants to keep things simple and concise. I would rather see 12 conferences of 10 teams or 12 teams than four conferences with, you know, 16, 18, 20 teams. Um, so good for the Big Ten, but for college football fans, much like a lot of the other changes that we're seeing, I'm kind of that curmudgeon old man uh, or getting to be that way that, uh, you know, give me the way it was, damn it. That's that's how I feel. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of all these changes. Uh, do you think the Big Ten is going to go to a, to be a divisionless conference? I think they should. And I think they eventually will. I mean, with the uh, I mean, we've seen it work in the Big 12. The Pac-12 is doing it this year where. Um, there are no North and South division. It's just going to be the top two teams. And as a college football fan, 
I, I've always believed that, you know, fans deserve to see the two best teams or the two, you know, you could even say two most deserving teams in the championship game. And as a Northwestern fan, in really both of their Big Ten championship appearances in 2018, 2020, they did not necessarily deserve to be there ahead of other teams that are in the East. Now, in saying that, um, I would love to see a four-team conference championship playoff. So, um, and the reason for that is, I think if you just go to the top two teams, you're going to year in and year out see Ohio State and either Michigan or Penn State, maybe even Michigan State. Occasionally, you're going to get a, a team that is traditionally from the West. But I mean, when you look at recruiting, recruiting is always East heavy as we look at the current alignment right now. Um, and as as good as programs like Nebraska, Iowa, um, you know, Minnesota as of late, Northwestern in the last decade, as good as they've been they still have not been able to compete in recruiting. And so because of that fact, um, I think that those teams are going to get looked at, even Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin has had an uptick in recruiting, but um, I don't see Wisconsin as a top two team in the last decade or even in the next decade coming forward. So I think if you go to four teams and you play it over two weekends, you know, so maybe the first and second weekend in December, that way you at least give a team um, that might be third or fourth uh, and, and have won all the games on their schedule, uh, except for maybe one, and it probably would be a crossover game from one of those uh, teams from the East. I just think that will um, lend to a little bit more um, fairness, for lack of a better word. And I think the excitement will still be there. I mean, college football fans are going to want to watch college football. So giving them one more game. And I think even for the rest of the conference, I'm in favor of if you have this four-team playoff, Maybe in that um, first weekend in December, you have the remaining um, 10 teams and then uh, 12 teams when USC and UCLA come in, um, schedule kind of like BYU and Coastal Carolina did in the 2020 COVID season. And maybe that week you just kind of, and the Big Ten did it too, uh, from what I remember. And, you know, Nebraska gets on the horn with, um, you know, maybe a team from the East and they say, okay, Michigan State, we didn't play you this year. Let's let's play one another. And if the conference commissioner, Kevin Warren or other powers that be needed to get in and and kind of regulate that scheduling, I would love to see that and have like an extra week or, a you know, a week 13 game, if you will, for the other Big Ten games uh, and teams. That way you're still making money. You're still giving uh, TV exposure. You're still um, giving those players another week to play. And at that point, you know, you might have some opt outs kind of like you do with bowl games, but it's still um, throwing that option out. So I'm, I'm kind of in favor of that. I know that you guys didn't really ask that, but um, it's, it's something that's been on my mind. And it's something I think would be cool to see, not just in the Big Ten, but all around um, college football as these conferences grow and expand. I would absolutely love a four team conference playoff. That would be that'd be so intriguing. That would be yeah. awesome. So, so I will say I don't hate the idea. But I'm going to pick on both you and Justin because I hear stuff like this from people and they're like, oh, I want to see these expanded. I want to see these more playoffs. And then the next breath I'll hear, well, I'm a traditionalist. I, I want to see things. And whenever I hear playoff expansion or any type of expansion, that is not tradition. That That is the college football by its definition has always been this kind of weird parody where you don't always have the best team in there. Um, you, we've seen national championships. Like how, how is that team not in there? They lost one game by a field goal. Like they're not in there and it's kind of created some really great moments over time. And I, so when I hear this parody and expanded playoffs or expanding, even conference playoffs, I do kind of track, but I am not that person. I am a little bit more open to this. 
And I love that idea. And I especially love that last week. It, it, you can have those kind of rankings where it's like it's a fair game. You play your, you know, fourth versus fourth. You get yeah. that kind of parody at the end of the year. Um, I, I think that would be a fun way to end the year for the Big Ten. It's kind of a mini bowl game. Right. Um, yeah, I, I'm in favor. But again, the, the purist in this this thing is a little bit off up till Tyler. Right. Tyler, we can have our cake and eat it, too. All right. <laughs> Well, and when exactly. I talk about that, like I, I, I'm all for the college football season being what it's always been, where, you know, one loss and you're in real deep trouble, two losses and you're pretty much done. But again, with that with that metaphor of the, the train's coming. And so we can either get on board or we can get run over by the train. You know, the four of us are certainly not going to uh, whatever crusade we want to lead to get back to what college football used to be. This is happening. So. Um, I look at it as trying to make the best of the situation that is, at this point, in my opinion, inevitable, right? So uh, can I ask a quick question? Because I, I, I had this thought the other day. Can you identify, you're a college football historian. What was the moment when college football changed? Like, like college football was pretty pure for a lot of decades. Like, when, when was it that you're like, that, that's when the money grab happened. That's when they lost their way. Is there a moment that comes to mind? That's a good question. I think you could point to a few, but for me, it was really when um, I think when when coaches started to make more than a couple million dollars a year. Um, I mean, I think that that's part of it. I think that uh, I mean, you could point to the Big Ten Network as, as awesome as that is. When you're putting even more money on the table, which I think then sets the dominoes for, um, you know, player transfers. When when players are able to transfer and play right away, and not only that, but when players are able to attend spring practice and then transfer, and they can technically transfer to your rival school. I mean, that's something. And again, I, I don't want to get too much on the old man tangent, but um, I mean, that's insider trading, in my opinion. You know, I mean, what's to stop somebody from being ticked off and saying, you know what, screw Nebraska. I'm going over to Iowa. I'm going to play for Kirk Ferentz. And guess what? This is all the stuff that I know about the Nebraska culture. This is what all I know about, um, you know, this playbook. And and I know that it's a lot more complex than that. But um, I just feel like uh, succumbing to the fear of litigation and succumbing to the almighty dollar, wherever you want to point that to, that really was the begin of the change in my opinion, not for the better of college football, but I'm also not one of those people who is going to say I give up and this is not the game I grew up loving. I mean, things change in life all the time. And I, I honestly can't see much happening to college football that would make me just quit and say, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I, I will say this. I think there needs to be some kind of regulation on some of it, especially Absolutely. with the transfer portal. Uh, cause, Cause I'm with you, like, especially in a day and age where, we all have these cell phones with cameras on it. I can take a picture of every play. And like you said, I can transfer over to Iowa and show them the whole damn playbook. I, right. I, I mean, it's, it's dumb. It, there needs to be some kind of regulations. NIL needs to have some regulations. Sure. Because that's, that's already getting out of hand. Right. And we've just started it. And it, so, oh, I, so I, I do think there needs to be some regulations. But I'm with you. I don't know that there's anything that would really make me quit watching football. Right. Yeah. If they unionize. I mean, like what yeah. Northwestern tried to do. <laughs> yeah, tried, tried, tried. It's very important. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and I mean, last last bit here. 
Um, I'm also not of the mindset that players um, deserve to get paid. Um, I think I like NIL. I like the opportunity for players to be able to get compensated. But, um, you know, again, I, I go back to everything in life is a choice. Right. And, um, you know, would I have if I was blessed with uh, the physical gifts that a lot of these young men have been blessed with? Would I have um, taken the lumps? Would I have um, done the, the the blood, sweat, and tears to be a part of a college football program? I would say absolutely, I would. You know, and and I would look at that as you know, I'm I'm given the opportunity to get an education, to experience all these life experiences. Because you know, I look at college football players; they're basically making these connections. That's like the best fraternity. That's the best social network you can have is being a college football player because. College football is such a part of America's fabric. So if I go to interview for a job and they say, oh, you were on the uh, 95 Nebraska National Championship team, even if I was, you know, a four string walk on fullback, the fact that I can swap stories about, you know, Coach Osborne and, uh, you know, this story with Tommy Frazier, I mean, that basically links me into what I want to do later in life. And so it's it's more than just the paid for education and it's more than just the, you know, the benefits and, the, you know, the the legal gifts that they get here and there. And like I said, I, I do appreciate NIL and I like that. But, um, you know, that might be the tipping point for me to where if players are going to unionize and and they are allowed to you know hold out and negotiate contracts then we can get into a whole sort of a mess and honestly that's the big difference why i am such a huge college fan and really not as much of a pro game fan i i, I have to tell you i've always hated the premise that these players don't get paid anyway yeah. with the fr- with the free education the free food the free room and board these guys are eating the steaks and whatever the hell they want yeah. And, and, you know, all the other college students are sitting here scrounging around for ramen noodles. Right. Like, don't tell me these kids ain't getting paid when they're getting free, free shoes, free clothes. Yep. I mean, uh, they're, team they're doctors so and healthcare, much. things like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're getting so many things that are that are benefits just because they're not physically getting paid doesn't mean they're not getting paid. Right. Yep. All right. Uh, Chappie, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we'll get you out of here. Uh, tell everybody where they can follow you and follow your work. Yeah. Thanks again, guys, for having me on. So you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Chappie CFB. And um, I encourage you to, to take a look. Uh, you know, you talked about our, our walk it off with Chappie segment. Try and do about five videos a week. And that's going to get even more entertaining during the season. Um, I'll give my picks of the week, uh, little quick breakdowns from Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night games, uh, Saturday day games. Uh, also check out the website, cfpcollegefootball.com. Uh, conference previews have been released. Got the big 10. I've got the sec and just released the pac 12. So ACC and big 12 are coming. So if you want to see where I put uh, your team or your team opponents in the big 10 this year, again, check it out. Cfpcollegefootball.com. Awesome. Again, thanks for joining us. Uh, good luck to your team, except in Dublin. That's right. Yep. Congrats and uh, good luck this year, guys. All right. Thanks. All right, guys. What did you think? Did you hear anything out of Chappie that kind of uh, like worried you or made you feel better about this Northwestern game? Well, I feel a lot better. I, I mean, so here's the thing. I think we're all high on a lot of these things, but when I hear other people talk about Garrett Nelson, man, that gets me excited because 
he, he's a big linchpin why I think our season could be the way it is. So I love that Chappie's on the Garrett bandwagon. He, he is oh, he's high dude, on the like defense. Yeah. yeah. I, I was a little shocked at how high he was on the offensive line. Yeah. yeah he had some pretty good praise about the offensive line that I don't think most, most Nebraska fans feel very comfortable with. That's true. The, the, my biggest takeaway was the fact that Ryan Halinski is not going to be the court, may not be the quarterback for either this game or, you know, for most of the season. Uh, I t- I'll tell you this. I, I would not want to have a redshirt freshman starting that game one with Garrett Nelson and O'Shawn Mathis coming off the edge. Uh, that's true, too. In Dublin. Yeah. I mean. That's a, that's no, a tough no, game. That's a tough game for your first start. I mean, but Halitsky has not knocked the socks off of anybody in any no. game, right? No. I mean, I, I can see why if, if there's if the competition is that tight, why not play the uh, young red fresh uh, redshirt freshman? But yeah, uh, guys, we got a second part of this podcast here that we want to do. We're going to get to rank the 2022 Nebraska schedule and. You know, it's conference season, so everybody loves pods, right? So we're going to do this in pods. We're going to do the easiest four games in pod one, the middle uh, four games in pod two, and the toughest pod in pod three. So let's go ahead and start with, off with the easiest pod. Derek, who are your four easiest games to start off uh, the 2022 season? All right, uh... I'm going to go backwards here from four to one, just for fun. Uh, I, I think Indiana, I got I, like our fourth easiest. Uh, Northwestern as our third easiest. North Dakota as our second easiest. And Georgia Southern as our as our easiest game. You said no- North Dakota second easiest and Georgia Southern? Yes. Wow. Okay. Uh Tyler. Well, I guess I will follow suit, That even though that's the opposite of how I wrote this down, so I'm probably going to screw this up. Thanks a lot, Derek. Uh, um, my fourth easiest is uh, Rutgers. Um, I, then I'm going to go Illinois, then North Dakota, and then Georgia Southern. My goodness. Uh, okay, so there's some differences, differences here. I have North Dakota as our easiest game. They're FCS. Georgia, I'm sorry. I, let me go back to your <laughs> format that you screwed us up, Derek. I love doing that. Golly, this is hard. That's okay. what you get for having Derek go first. I know. I sh- yeah, you're right. All right. So <laughs> my fourth easiest is at Rutgers. Third easiest is Indiana. Second easiest is Georgia Southern. And first is North Dakota. Uh, you guys had Georgia Southern. Why did you put Georgia Southern in front of... Uh, North Dakota. I'll give you two reasons for me, for me personally. Uh, timing of the North Dakota game worries me. Coming back from Ireland, uh, I, I think that makes it a little more difficult. Uh, but probably the most important reason is Georgia Southern's just hired Clay Helton. He's in his first season. He's going to change it from a triple option attack to a to a uh, more of a spread offense. I don't know if they're going to have the athletes to do that. Uh, I, I I think that's a big deal for this team. I I think Georgia Southern is going to really struggle this year. Okay, Tyler. I I mean, Derek, you hit it on the head. I I think 
Honestly, if I think you play North Dakota and Georgia Southern on a neutral field, I don't know who wins that game. I think it's close enough. And so the difference to me is the fact that we're coming back and we got uh, from Ireland. I think that's going to be a short work week around. And I'm in the big into the psychology of this. If we beat Northwestern, that's going to be a big win to start the season. I could see us coming out a little bit flat, a little bit tired. Um, yeah, I, that, that's the slight difference to me. Okay. Uh, Derek, Northwest, we just got done talking to Chappie. Rolling them there is the third easiest team still, right? I, I do. I just... I. I'm falling into the trap. I know. I, I I talk about everybody falling into this trap, thinking the Northwestern's not going to be a good team. But I'm looking at it. They don't have a quarterback. I mean, we, we've just talked about that with Chappie. We don't know who their quarterback's going to be. Uh, chances. I mean, there's a chance that they could have a a, a redshirt freshman starting. Uh, I, I I'm not convinced that our defense is going to be much better after losing that defensive coordinator. Uh, I think they lose a lot on defense. Uh, I mean, they got about five guys coming back on defense. So they lost half their defense. And the guys that they lost were big names like Chris Burgeon. And I, I just, I, I'm not convinced that they're going to be a great team this year. So, okay. So I'll, I'll say the uh, biggest shocker here is Tyler. I mean, leave it to Tyler here. He has Illinois, the team that has beat Nebraska the last two years, as his third easiest game. On the rust, uh, on the schedule, why? I mean, yeah. Illinois last year, yes, they beat Nebraska two years in a row. That's a fair argument. I don't know what to make of this Illinois team. Um, you know, both of us are coming off buys heading into that game, um, so there's not really a schedule inherent advantage. Um, I, I guess this just goes down to what I think of Illinois. Illinois was the team last year that lost the Rutgers by, and then played really well against Minnesota. I mean, they, but at the end of the year, they did not score 20 points in seven of the last 10 games. They didn't score 20 offensive points against us, or I think they barely hit, I think they hit exactly 20 points against us offensively uh, because of the scoop six and the safety. So I, I think at the end of the day, our defense is just, there is no team on this schedule that I think our defense matches up for better than Illinois. Okay. All right, let's move to the middle pod here. And Derek, I'm going to start with you, but go to easiest to toughest this time so you don't screw up our notes here. All right. All right. Go fine. for it. Five uh, through eight. Five through eight. Number five, I got uh, Rutgers. I, I think that's probably the next one. Then I have Illinois. Then I have Purdue. And then number eight, I have Minnesota. Tyler. Yeah, I, I will say that the the five and six um, were probably as tough a debate as I had, and you guys were a lot lower on one of these teams, but I had Northwestern and then Indiana um, is, is my legs too. Then I'm going to go Purdue, and then I'm rounding out uh, Oklahoma. Wow, okay. Uh, my five through eight is uh, Illinois, and then at Northwestern – because it's the first game of the year at Purdue. And then I have uh, Minnesota in that slot. Uh, Tyler, why is Indiana number six on your schedule here? Six yeah, toughest. So, so, so psychology is a big part to me. 
in this pick. So this is after a bye week for Nebraska, so you would think that's an advantage. But the, the game before Indiana is Oklahoma. I think that is going to be, whether win or lose, a very emotional game for Nebraska. I also am in the camp that think Indiana is going to be improved from last year. I think Tom Allen is actually a good coach. I do see them on the rebound. I may be falling into my trap of uh, annual overhype on Indiana, even though I don't think they're going to be a great team. I do think they're going to be a step improve. Um, them and Northwestern is right there. I mean, when I look at the Rutgers, Illinois, I, I mean, I had just I think those are terrible teams. Those I think those are the two worst teams in the Big Ten. Um, I, I think they're just bad. And so now we're kind of in that next spot where they're not great teams in Northwestern in Indiana. And I just think that after the Oklahoma game um, is a little bit of a kind of a psychological down to kind of give Indiana a slight bump. Okay. Uh, so guys, you know, I mean, I've been challenging you on your picks. So, I mean, if I have like a crazy pick here, feel free to challenge me as well. Well, I want to, I want to get into Indiana just a little bit more because I, 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 I'm the only one that had him in my one of my four easiest, I think. Uh, and, and my reasoning was, dude, they were replacing both their their coordinators. Uh, Walt Bell is their new offensive coordinator, and he was a head coach at UMass for a while with a record of two and twenty three. So I'm not no, not sure I can convince he's a great coach. Uh, Chad Wilt, he's a first year for their defensive coordinator. He's also going to coach their linebackers. But the guy's never coached linebackers in his career before. He's always been a defensive line coach. They're also losing all their guys on offense. They only have returned four on all their offense. So I'm not sure that the offense is going to be great. The defense wasn't great to begin with. Now you're getting a new defensive coordinator. I, 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 I don't see a lot of improvement out of Indiana this year. So, Derek, I had Indiana as my third easiest game. Oh, you did. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. It's probably hard since you screwed up the order here when we did this. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, same reasons, man. I, I was not impressed with what they're bringing back. They're coming off of a, you know, a year that nobody saw coming. I mean, I think we all had them, you know, at least five wins last year, five, six, seven wins. But, yeah. I mean, but the, the thing with Indiana last year, there may be no team in the Big Ten that was more decimated with injuries. Yeah, and at the end of the luck. day, at the end of the day, Michael Penix was a not a good quarterback down the stretch in Indiana. He was a detriment. And I, I also want to add this. this is, them and Rutgers were the same to me. But there was one difference. Indiana's at home and Rutgers is on the road. Exactly. Yeah, I had Rutgers as my fourth easiest. Derek, you have them as your uh, fifth. Fifth easiest, yeah. Yeah. I, I I think you guys, I mean, you guys were pretty aligned on that middle tier, weren't you? Did you guys have the exact same middle tier? Oh, no, Derek had Northwestern, and you had Illinois. So, yeah. So, Justin, right, so that, if I remember right, so, Justin, are you the highest on Illinois? I have Illinois as my fifth easiest. My uh, sixth easiest is Northwestern. Oh, so you're the highest on Northwestern. Yeah, and and it's all because it's the very first game of the year across the the across the Atlantic. Uh, that's the only reason I have them. You know, I mean, basically, you know, the uh, three through six, they're all pretty damn interchangeable. Three through Agreed. six. I mean, kind of bust your balls on some of these, but uh, yeah. you know, 
they're they're all interchangeable at this part. Kind of like what you know, seventh through eleven is going to be for us. Unless you guys are throwing a curveball, but I just see seven through eleven going to be uh, kind of a you know you can interchangeable. Uh, so let's get into the toughest four of the year, Derek. All right, I got number nine, Oklahoma. Uh, I got number 10, Wisconsin, 11, Michigan, and Iowa being the toughest game. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. wow. So you did throw a curveball. Uh, Tyler. Yeah. yeah. Um, I got Minnesota. You guys had them in fifth. I, I think they're tougher than Oklahoma. I We didn't really get into this, but I, I don't want to say I'm down on Oklahoma because I think they're a good team, but I think Minnesota is a tougher game than Oklahoma. Um, number three, I have Iowa. Um, at the on the road against Iowa, number two Wisconsin, number one at Michigan. Okay, so your nine through twelve for the easiest to toughest Iowa, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Wisconsin at Michigan and Michigan. And Derek, your nine through twelve is Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa. My nine through twelve is at Iowa, Oklahoma, Wisconsin. And Michigan. Uh, Derek, Iowa being your toughest game. Tell us why. Uh, first off, they return almost everybody on their offense and defense. That was a 10-win team last year. Second off, it's in Iowa, and we have not done well in Iowa for quite some time at this point. Uh, you guys talk about Michigan being the toughest game, and I wanted to agree with that, but, man, their defense is pretty decimated after last year. They only return uh, three guys on defense. So, I mean, their defense is going to be, I, I feel, will struggle some. Uh, their offense will be pretty tough, but I think our defense is good enough to hang with them. My, my thing with Michigan's offense is I think Michigan has the best offensive line in the Big Ten. And when I think about what Nebraska needs to do to be successful, it is going to be getting after the quarterback. Or, and I, I think Michigan's got a good quarterback. I think they've got weapons on the outside. We, we've had this debate for four weeks, it seems like now, when we've talked about this defense. If you could pass block and you can stop our line, I, I do worry about secondary breakdowns. I, I think Michigan is like the team that is most designed to be able to beat Nebraska's offense. Especially it's being on the road, too. On the road. Yeah. Um, but Iowa's on the road. And listen, listen, Iowa has... Three all Americans, pre, three preseason all Americans, at least according to Athlons, and uh, ten all conference players. I, the, my thing like with they, Iowa, they have a, so much coming back, and it, if there's a defense I that I feel this year is going to slow our offense down, it's going to be Iowa. That's fair. That that's again, I was a tough game. I guess my thing is, I just think. I'm falling in a trap. Uh, Petrus. I, I mean, as good as Iowa could be, and they're going to win games, and they might end up being a team I predict to win the West. I mean, it's still debatable. I just think, g- give me a chance for Garrett Nelson to hit Petrus a couple times. I think there's picks to be had in that game. I don't, I know we haven't won in Iowa City, but that, that place doesn't scare me. Like, I mean, of, of compared Ann Arbor versus Iowa City, like, Ann Arbor is a much more daunting task than Iowa City is to me. I don't know. Get, getting Jack Campbell back and uh, Riley Moss 
scares me. Like, that's one of the best linebackers in the Big Ten and probably the best cornerback in the Big Ten. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, but I, I gotta, we got to get to Justin's pick. Oklahoma third? Third is toughest, it, yes. Wow, is that with, the... With a, with a new coach? I almost yeah, had, I per, I almost had a, Purdue over I think they over still him. have a lot of talent there. Uh, I mean... They they also only returned three on defense. Jeff Lobby coming in as OC is like the thing. You know, he worked with Dylan Gabriel at UCF. He, he was great at Ole Miss. I mean, I think their offense is going to be just as good. I think Dylan Gabriel, I mean, he is the real deal. I think he's the best quarterback in the Big 12 this year or will be this year. I, I think it's hard to say. I mean, that's... It's apples and oranges here. Like, yeah, he was great at UCF, but I, I don't know if you go into a, a Power Five conference and continue that success. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I see it. Uh, and then as far as their defense, uh, Brett Venables is going to fix that defense, and I think he can have a quicker impact. I, I agree. I just don't think it'll be. Could. I agree with you that he will fix the defense. I just don't know if it's as fast as you think it will. And, and I, I will say this. I, I think that I agree with the defense will be better than last year. I'm, I think you're off your fucking horse if you think their offense is going to be as good. I, I mean, I mean, peace and love. I mean, like I, Dylan Gabriel might be a really great quarterback. He might be the best quarterback on the field in that game. He might be the best quarterback in that conference. Like Lincoln Riley just got paid a lot of money. Because he does offense really, really well. And you're switching philosophies. Like, you talk about offensive coordinator. Like, when you have a defensive head coach, what does that do to game plan? How aggressive are you going to be? Is is that guy off the horse? One thing that we probably haven't talked about, like, with Whipple coming in, like, that helps him with Frost being an offensive guy because he's going to put, like, have a philosophy of offense. Is Venables going to have an aggressive mindset? Is he going to hamper his offensive coordinator? There's just too much unknown. No, there. absolutely not. He's, he's going to run defense. the show. I mean, Brent Venables is not going to get involved in offense, just like Scott Frost does not get involved in the defense. He's an Say offensive that. guy. Brent Venables is a defensive guy. He's going to get. It, he uh, did philosophy. go out and get one of the best offensive coordinators I'm, in the country. So he I'm could t- micromanage. I'm talking philosophies. I'm talking about how aggressive are they going to be. Is it a little bit tempered? I just think that, and I also think that this is going to be the pass-happy team. This this is the game where the, well, the pass he, rush gets after him. He, he may want to slow the offense down a little bit compared to what Jeff Levy likes to do. Yeah. He may not want him to run that high-tempo offense as much because he wants his defense to be able to get a rest. Okay. That still doesn't stop me from thinking that they're the third best. I don't care about the tempo. I, mean, I think they're. I think, I they're think it team. changes things. I, I. I don't know. I. I mean, I'm not far off of you. And I mean, I could have switched Wisconsin and, and Oklahoma. Like it wouldn't have, wouldn't have bothered me to switch those two. So I mean, I could have them in the same spot. I just I. I, I, I worry about a first year coach, and that's what that's why they ended up as my easiest of the four toughest. I mean, you guys want to knock, you know, Brent Venables for bringing in the this, you know, Jeff Levy, but you know, Scott Frost is doing the same thing with Mark Whipple. Is he going to let Mark Whipple do his thing, or is he going to try to I, micromanage? The I'm same not, questions I'm not that you prosing for. I, I'm not saying Oklahoma, micromanage. Same, I'm not saying mi- I never said micromanaging. I'm saying philosophy. I'm saying 
you have a guy who's ran an up-tempo offense. He's been hyper-aggressive. Typically, those offenses don't match with a defensive-minded head coach. Typically, defensive-minded head coaches like field position. They like to get players rest. I'm sure Brett Venables never thought of any of that stuff before he hired Jeff Levy. And he might have been thinking he's the best coordinator we could combine and come up something. I'm not saying he's going to be bad. I'm not saying he's a bust. And again, we're probably, I'm drafting that scholarship. I mean, just to me, I think Oklahoma is, I don't want to say one of the most overrated teams in the country, but because they might be one of the best in the Big 12. I just think compared to the Big 10 teams of Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Michigan, I think all four of those teams beat Oklahoma. I don't know about Minnesota. I think you're sleeping on Minnesota. I think Minnesota. I, I think they'll be a good team. I, I I just don't say they beat Oklahoma. I think it's a little bit of a stretch. So Minnesota. So PJ Fleck has Scott Frost's number for whatever reason. He brings lesser teams to the fight, and he tends to kick Nebraska's ass. So I had Minnesota as my eighth toughest team, but and Iowa at ninth. The only reason I put Iowa in front of uh, of Minnesota as being tougher is because it's on the road. But it had both games been in Lincoln, I mean, I would have had Minnesota tougher than Iowa just because of the P.J. Fleck factor. I mean, for whatever reason, I don't know what it is. Couldn't you say the same thing about Iowa? Kirk Ferentz has owned Nebraska for the last seven years. Yeah. Maybe, but I just think, but so I think Iowa does it with better players than what PJ Flint can. I think we've had better teams the last three years uh, than Minnesota. I think we've had better players than Minnesota the last three years. So what I will say about PJ Fleck, I think PJ Fleck undoubtedly had Adrian Martinez number. I don't think there is a coach in the conference that knew how to play Adrian Martinez better than Minnesota did. And so maybe that's a correlation he had Scott Frost number. Maybe that is the, the truth there. I like to think that it was at Adrian Martinez. I remember that 2021, I mean 2020 game, we got up to that big first half, and then Adrian Martinez played one of his worst half of footballs in that second half, and we end up losing. Like, he couldn't complete a pass. He ran that shell that just dared him to go over the top. Um, I, I, I think that... Casey Thompson is a different breed. I, again, I've been pretty consistent. I don't know if he's better, but I think he's a different breed. I think he's going to give a lot more challenges to that Minnesota attack. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I had Minnesota again. I just, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of doubt on Oklahoma. It's kind of my spot. All right. Uh, so I just want to recap here, and then let's get out, get out here. Derek, you had Georgia Southern. This is from easiest to toughest. Georgia Southern, North Dakota, Northwestern, Indiana, Ruggers, Illinois, Purdue, Minnesota, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa. Tyler, you had Georgia Southern and North Dakota as well. Illinois, Rutgers, Northwestern, Indiana, Purdue, Oklahoma, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan. And I had North Dakota, Georgia Southern, Indiana, Ruggers, Illinois, Northwestern, Purdue, Minnesota, Iowa, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, and Michigan. The only opponent we all had in the exact same spot was Purdue. Yeah, 
That's true. God, I, f- yeah. I figured the first the, two the, we would have had the same. I did too, and then you had to mess that up. But um, an uh, FCS team should never be more difficult than a Power Five team. Power never. Five team? They're a group of five teams. Uh, I mean, an FBS team. I'm sorry, FCS should never be above an FBS. And your FBS and FCS are so, very, very close. So you're saying if we were playing North Dakota State, they would still be in that same boat because they're F- FCS. They should be an FBS team. <laughs> they they are the one. They are the one exception. One exception. I don't know. I think there's probably a lot of teams in FCS right now that will probably beat Georgia Southern. I agree. I think their running back just retired today. Also, well, that changes everything. Yeah. So I should probably had Georgia Southern as my easiest game. <laughs> I just, um, I just think I just think change of philosophies on offense is gonna be too much for that team. But I, I did want to say about Purdue. I, I think Purdue is a really intriguing game because I think we all like they're they're definitely better than that bottom tier. How close is Purdue in that top tier for you? I think they're they're definitively better than that those the, the teams below them. But are how close were they to be in the fifth most difficult? Was if, there any consideration? If there? any of you guys had Purdue in your top four. I would not have busted your balls. I would have asked you why, but I would have busted. I mean, it is on the road. And yep. Aiden O'Connell is a great quarterback, you know, second best in the Big Ten. Uh, yeah, it, it was close. It was close. I mean, again, the way I had him ranked, 7 through 11 for me, arguments could be made to shuffle any of those around. The only one that I think is an automatic toughest game of the year is at Michigan. I, I thought that was the easiest one on the schedule to say that's the toughest. The rest, they're interchangeable. Here was my only problem with Purdue, and this is why this is why they absolutely could not make my my top four or five was because they've lost too much. So like I, I know Aiden O'Connell's a good good quarterback, but I don't know I don't know what weapons he has. Like they get their tight end back, uh, Payne Durham Dunham Durham whatever his name is. Uh, but losing David Bell and and Milton Wright, I think that's too much. And Xander Horvath, their 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 bulldozer running back that seemed to kick our ass. Like they've lost all three of those guys. I just and I think that's why we all had them. You know, middle of the pack. You know, we all had them seventh toughest. But uh, I mean, I I can see an argument just the Aiden O'Connell factor. Yeah. I, again, he scares me. Um, Jeff Brom's an interesting coach right now. Yeah. I I, I I will say I'm with you, Justin. I gave a little bit of consideration of Purdue ahead of Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, God, let's hope that uh, Andrew O'Connell does not find a receiver that he really likes, you know, over the first six games. He will. He will. Oh, he's going to, yeah. But, but the difference is David Bell... Like, Wright's a big loss. Losing Milton Wright was a big loss. But David Bell, like, if he'd played for Ohio State, like, I mean, the hype around that guy, I mean, he might have been the best wide receiver in the Big Ten. And there's a lot of great wide receivers last year in the Big Ten, but he might have been the best. And I I don't think it's just as simple as replacing him. Yeah, they lost their their three top uh, wide receivers last year. But they still have two that are coming in that had over 450 yards receiving. 
That's that's crazy. That is crazy. But uh, we will see. Uh, kickoff is going to be. Can I, can I add just one more thing to the Purdue thing? Sure. Don't they kind of like fit right into the mold of our defense? Like, dude, you got you got Garrett Nelson and O'Shawn Mathis coming off the edges. That that plays right into our defense with him trying to throw the ball that much because you know they're not going to run a ton because they never do. Oh yeah, they're yeah. They won't be uh, running it, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, if if there's going to be anything, we better help hope our secondary they come to play because they will be challenged that day for sure. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm uh, excited. This yeah. got me really excited doing this exercise. It was a lot tougher than what I thought it would be. But all right, uh, guys, we'll get. Uh, Together next week, Big Ten Media Days is coming up. Uh, that's going to be fun. Practice will start by the time we do it, but unfortunately the coaches will speak uh, later in the week after we do the podcast. So we won't hear from the coaches or anything out of that first practice, but uh, I'm sure we'll find something to talk about. Uh, been fun, guys. Let's get out of here. Special thanks to our producer, Connor Russell, for putting this audio together for us. Be sure to follow the Husker Cuscast on Twitter, at Husker Cuscast. Like us on Facebook, look for episodes anywhere you get your podcasts. Hit that subscribe button, and don't forget to rate and review. On behalf of Derek and Tyler, we want to thank everybody for listening. As always, go Big Red.